Episode 44 of the Reptile Gumbo Podcast. Uh, we're, we're one person short tonight because Katie had to run just left to go get our daughter from dance because apparently like someone had to be a good parent and go pick up our kid. But I said the podcast came first, so I'm here. And so is Robert. Yes, I am. Barely kicking. And Robert has amazing internet, so if it sounds like I'm talking to a robot, I promise we're not that advanced. It's just Robert. Yeah. My internet is terrible tonight, and, and I don't understand why. Like, I can't even log into my internet subscribers' website right now because it's going so slow. Because they don't want you to be able to complain, so they're keeping you out of That's it. That's exactly what it is. That's exactly what it is. So, uh, before we go any farther, got to do our sponsors because I always like forget about it until we're like ten minutes into it. First sponsor is Herps Reptile Shows, uh, which are are done for the year until. January, but yep. when January comes, uh, we got a busy January. Although I've, I've been getting uh, messages every day from from Lori, making sure that I'm going, what shows I'm doing. So I feel like the shows are coming up, but it's really still like a month away. Yeah, I should probably pull that up and actually tell people what the dates are, so I can. Oh, I got to pull it up. Here we go. Here we go. All right. Okay. Uh, not going to this one, but Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Hey, that plays, plays into kind of who we have on the show tonight. But Oklahoma City is January 16th and 17th. Uh, I'll be there. Longview. Yeah, you'll be there. I will not be there. Go see Robert and Lone Star, our other sponsor, Lone Star Reptile Racks. Robert, uh, he will be there. Uh, Longview, Texas is January 23rd, 24th. Oh, that's right. Wasn't there, there was a slide down there and it got pushed back because of Corona. Uh, yeah, it's so, the first of February now. Yeah, the Conroe, Texas is January thirtieth and thirty first. If if you're anywhere and you've never been to the Conroe, Texas show, and you're anywhere in Texas, I know anywhere in Texas could still be like fourteen hours away from Conroe, but uh, you should definitely come to the Conroe, Texas show. That's the biggest one of all of them, and that's a, that's a really good show. And then the Slidell show is the thirteenth and fourteenth of February, so move to February. Which is cool. That only gives me two shows in January, and you only have three shows instead of four. Correct. And now we have two shows in February instead of just one. So I like that. And they're they're spaced out that we have a week off, then a show, then a week off, then a show, because Corpus is at the end of the month in February. Yeah, February 27th and 28th is Corpus Christi, Texas. I haven't been to that one before. I, I did that one a couple months ago. It's a good show. So you just had a pretty good show. I had a great show. Austin was a fantastic show. A very strange venue um, that I wasn't sure it was about. An ice hockey rink. It's an ice hockey. No, it's a it's a roller hockey rink. And, a roller uh, hockey rink. Gotcha. Um, we had to do a little bit of shuffling when we got there on where our table was, but you know, of course, Sean and Laura are amazing, and Sean made it happen, and uh, we ended up having a having a fantastic show. In fact, I think Saturday was the best one day I've had since I started this business, um, sales wise. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Was, Did anybody I get checked it. into the glass? Cause like if anybody that's not picturing, it had the like hockey rink glass. Oh yeah. At least I saw no, the pictures. You, you were in, in the hockey, the whole show was inside the hockey rink. Uh, yeah. See, I just throwing people up into the glass and checking them as you're trying to get down the aisles. 
Man, they're, they're, Sean utilized every inch of space in that thing. You couldn't get to the glass if you wanted to. And well, I'm it glad was that busy. went well for you. Yeah, it was busy, busy, busy all day Saturday. Like, I looked up and it was 4 o'clock and I was like, wow, okay. I thought it was about noon because it was that busy. Did you at least take home a somewhat empty trailer? Yeah, I only brought... Uh, I think I took 22 racks. I brought home four and a couple of rodent racks. So yeah, I, I didn't hardly bring home anything. Nice. That's good. I think, of course I wasn't at that show, so I didn't get to enjoy it, but that was too far away for me. But I, I enjoyed my weekend, uh, my couple of weekends lately of like sleeping in, not having to drive four hours, set up, stay in a hotel, wake up early. It's been nice. Yeah, I'm going to do that this weekend. Uh, now, of course, this week I've been relaxing a lot because I guess we can tell everybody I, I thought I had COVID because I started feeling really bad on Monday. And by Tuesday, I think it was Tuesday. I don't know. My days have all run together. I couldn't smell or taste anything. Um, that was Monday. I, yeah, I never had a fever, though, at all. But now it's, I had a sore throat the first day and, and, uh, but now it's, I just have a little bit of congestion left, but, um, negative for COVID. So uh, cold, maybe, I don't know. I know I kicked my butt for a couple of days. Yeah. So if everybody's listening, yeah, we're, we're, we're several days late getting this out because we were supposed to record Monday and then Robert came down with 24 hour COVID. And then, uh, and so now it's Thursday when we're recording this. But since we're it's Thursday, we're recording this. I will let Robert. I'll let you go ahead and introduce our guest so we can get him in here because he was so kind enough to come back and do it Thursday since we couldn't do it Monday. Yep. So our guest tonight is Todd Autry. Uh, he's from Oklahoma. He's a field herper, and uh, also uh, we'll talk with him a lot about rattlesnake roundup. So welcome to the show, Todd. It's uh, good to be on with you guys. How are you? We're great. I'm good. Well, I, yeah, I haven't Better. been sick all week, so I'm good. Yeah, <coughs> that's good. <laughs> no one had to shove a cotton swab up my nose and scramble my brain to see if I was sick. <laughs> yeah. It happened to me earlier in the year, and I assure you, it is not fun. Oh no, no, it is not. I'm a I'm a teacher, and so I actually I took off last Thursday and Friday because we were waiting for people to fix our floors. And what took two, what was supposed to take two days last week ended up taking the entire week. So my wife took three days off of work from being a teacher. and I had to take two days off and it lucked out because the person that I have bus duty with in the afternoons tested positive for COVID on Friday. And luckily I was just outside of the 48 hour window of being near him. And so I didn't have to quarantine at home for the next two weeks. Oh, that worked out. Oh, yeah, because I was not going to get tested. That was not going to happen. Because I know that they've changed it. It's The quarantine is much less if you go and you get a negative test, and then you can go back. But uh, I'll just take the two weeks at home without scrambling my brains. I can't, I, can't do, I can't do the test. I can't do, like, flu tests or strep tests. I can't say any of that stuff. Oh, So yeah. more power to y'all that have had to go through it. Or the people that have to do it on a regular basis. I couldn't, couldn't imagine that either. Yeah, can you imagine being like the NFL players that are having to do it every day when they come to practice or to a game? I guess if I was making what they were making, I probably would be okay with it, though. <laughs> I was, yeah, if I was making $35,000 for being at that game, I'd be okay. Or hundred in some cases, 100000 200000 Yeah. I, th I think I could deal with having my brain scrambled a little bit, but uh, yeah. I'm not making that. Yeah. No. <clears throat> 
Well, so, Todd, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, you know, who you are, your background, what you do? Okay. Well, my, my name is Todd Autry, and I'm just, um, you know, a kind of run-of-the-mill reptile enthusiast in Oklahoma. Um, I grew up around reptiles. I, I volunteered at our local zoo in the 80s and was able to, you know, get a lot of um, training from uh, keepers and curators back in back in those days before a lot of the politics started coming in to the AZA institutions. And um, I always had a thing in in my spirit about the, uh, the rattlesnake roundup issue. I saw something about it on TV when I was very very young, and, and said one of these one of these days, you know, I'm going to be the guy that does something about that. And um, <clears throat> so far. Um, you know, I've I've done a lot with the aid of friends and different groups and different things, and um, definitely um, made some progress into some certain areas. Others not so much, but um, you know, still swinging. <laughs> so. I uh, I used to work as a zookeeper for a while, but it was not that far back. So I, there was definitely AZA stuff when I worked, but, right. Uh, my my zoo my director when I got hired on was a very old school guy he used to be before all that so some of the stories I'd hear from him about the stuff he could get away with back then <laughs> yeah. was insane like, exactly oh and it's just like something like you go it can't be real but then you hear somebody else repeat it that was around around and you're like oh crap that was real that's insane right uh, life feeding of rodents um, you know raising your own mice colony, none of this frozen thawed stuff. It was, it was an interesting time. I'll say that. Eating hoof stock that happens to die that day at the zoo. <laughs> that was one, that was one story I got from, the, I forget what it was, but it was some sort of hoof stock and it died and it became dinner at one point. I've heard of that. I've never seen that. Um, <clears throat> but you know, n nothing would surprise me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've never been to uh, – so I, I listened to – you're on our buddy Joe's podcast right before all this started, all this COVID stuff started. And uh, and I listened to it again the other day because I knew we were having you on. So I listened to all the stuff about the rattlesnake roundups, and I've, I've never been to a rattlesnake roundup. I don't I – don't, one, I don't live close enough to one to go to one. And the other ones, I just don't – I don't know if I could do it. I have. <clears throat> I've, been to, I've been to Sweetwater a couple times when I was younger. Well, on that note, um, they're not uh, – most of them – I'll say this. Um, most of them in Oklahoma aren't really easy to stomach if you're a reptile lover like myself. Um, basically, in Texas, what you have is you have – you know, you have like I think maybe five or six of them left, and then we still have six going in Oklahoma. Uh, these things are on the decline historically throughout their life range uh one time the state of texas had 40 of them um you know so that just tells you how much it's dropped off over the past 40 years <clears throat> and um each one is different uh some of them they do not kill rattlesnakes uh, in public view at the roundup uh some people buy the snakes live take them other places and then you know they kill them there make boots and belts out of them whatever they do but um, it's something I've been heavily involved with for probably um, 11, 12 years now. And I stumbled into a Facebook group called Rise Against Rattlesnake Roundups. 
uh, probably around 2007. And what initially happened was a guy named James living in Oklahoma City uh, contacted me and he said, you know, we need to start going to these things, photographing what goes on there, videotaping what goes on there and getting this stuff out to the public because he had, he like me had, had a real problem with it. And um, sadly he actually passed away before we ever got to go anywhere together. And so I just, I just kind of went on my own without him. And um, I've been to Sweetwater three times. I've been to the Oglesby, Texas one once. I was going to make Walnut Springs, Texas earlier this spring was not able to, get away because of uh, family issues. And then I've been to all the ones in Oklahoma probably three or four times at least. And, um, you know, it's, it's kind of, I've kind of got a, a view of the whole scene. Um, a lot of people, when you talk roundups with them, all they know about is Sweetwater. And that's the only one they've heard about. That's the only one they've seen. There's five or six others in Texas and six in Oklahoma. And they're they're all taking a lot of rattlesnakes out of the environment. It still concerns me. The closest I've come, I so I grew up and went to college in South Alabama. When I went off to college, my parents were from South Alabama to South Georgia, and to drive to their house, I used to have to pass. I think it was the Wiggum Rattlesnake Roundup, like where it's held. So there's a big sign I'd always pass. It would say Rattlesnake Roundup because that's right. like a permanent sign there. But it was never going on whenever I drive by. But that's I'm like, I don't know if they still do it there. <clears throat> But they had a whole setup. Obviously, like there was enough income there to set up a like a permanent spot for them to have it. Wiggum uh, in in Georgia and Op in Alabama are the two lone holdouts in the southeastern United States, where the eastern diamondback and Crotalus ridus, the timber rattlesnake, are are hunted and collected for those. Exactly what's going on with those animals, um, we don't you know we don't really know we. Uh, I sent a friend about six, seven years ago to the Op Alabama one, and I said, I said, get a snake from that roundup. I don't care if it costs me $500. You, you get me an Eastern Diamondback. I don't care what condition it's in. Just give me a snake. He tried everything in the book to buy one from the people in Op, and they basically told him that they were under contract with like a, a leather dealer or something, and they couldn't sell to him no matter how much money he threw in front of them. Now, now my understanding about the Southeast is there used to be like 25 of them in Georgia and Alabama. And I'm very concerned about the ones in the Southeastern United States because you're dealing with the Eastern Diamondback. It's had probably 80, 90% of its original range obliterated. Just yeah, we don't, have in, we don't yeah. have in Louisiana anymore because I'm in Louisiana now. And you'll see it listed on like the venomous snakes of Louisiana, but no one catches them here. Right. And um, yeah, they've just been ex ex extirpated wherever they've they've been found. And so the 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 flip side of the coin is I do talk to some of the hunters from that area because one of the tactics I employ that everyone in in Herper world uh, hates me for is I actually form relationships with these people. Um, if if you become a friend of theirs, you can get five times as much information out of them. And ultimately that's what I'm after. And they're telling me that like the Wiggum hunt, you know, collected 30 or 40 Eastern diamondbacks this year. And, you know, used to, they would collect five, 600. 
um, the, the old literature we saw. So it's just kind of a lot of a lot fewer people are snake hunting these days. I'll say that, and, and that's a good thing. Yeah. Well, and and I don't know. I'm assuming that some of them are still in, in doing the old technique of gassing burrows, and it's much easier with I would imagine with Easterns because they're down in those gopher gopher tortoise burrows. So I mean, which is another problem is that you're gassing gopher tortoises when you do that go for Eastern Diamondbacks. Uh, that's that's correct. They um they say it's illegal, in, in um like Georgia and Alabama. But yet, I, 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 you know, once again, I know who some of these people who are going out and hunting, who are doing it, are, and so they they throw on a Facebook Live video if they're doing this. Well, guess who sees it? It's me, you, you know. So um, there are there are some different techniques that look like gassing, like pinging, where they run a hose down into a burrow and listen for the rattlesnakes, and then if they hear them rattling they'll start either digging up the burrow or sticking their tongs down it. But there's, there's a handful of uh, gassing still going on in Georgia and Alabama. I've, I've seen it with my own eyes. It's still legal in Texas. Um, it is very illegal in Oklahoma and Oklahoma seems to take it pretty seriously from what I've seen. It still amazes me. Some of the things that are legal from state to state, in 2020 that we haven't learned from the fact that it's still legal to pour gasoline down a hole in nature in texas is crazy right that is i agree (laughs) i mean that's like uh so in louisiana we're like the only state where you can still eat alligator snapping turtles and i'm like every other state has realized we should probably quit killing these things they're like nah let's keep eating them like (laughs) at some point you gotta stop well you know and, and a lot of it gets into um political things and I see that kind of playing out in Texas and Oklahoma. Until recently, it's my understanding that the timber rattlesnake was protected in Texas. Not and anymore. I, under- I do what? It is not protected as of March the thirtieth of twenty twenty. Okay, and, th- and that's what I was getting at. Is in Kansas they they're protected species. In Texas, up until March thirtieth, they were protected species. In Oklahoma, they've got a four month limit on how many you can take and it's it's open season uh you can collect as many timbers from the wild in oklahoma with a valid oklahoma hunting license as as you can find um which to me is kind of atrocious but it's just the way it is and then you know like you said kansas they're still protected so yeah it would be nice if everyone would kind of start to get on the same page but you know it's just it's not happened yet unfortunately well, we have a history of, as a species of not protecting other species until they're almost completely gone. Right. Like, we, we we see it coming. We can see it coming for generations. And for some reason, we're still like, ah, we'll wait a little longer. A lot of it has to do with, um, from the point of view I, I've seen, a lot of it has to do with, like, landowner support, um, you know, people – People who are cattle ranchers in Texas, and I'm assuming the same in Alabama, you know, if they have a rattlesnake den on their property, they want, you know, to be able to let their buddies on it and, you know, hunt the animals and things. And, you know, I I kind of understand where they're coming from. If I was scared of snakes, I might want that too. And trying to form relationships and identify those individuals 
and say, Hey, you know, you know, if I, if I can, I'll, I'll come collect some snakes off your property. I'm just not going to turn them into a roundup. You know, I'm going to, I, you know, don't know what I'm going to do with them. Very few people take you up on that offer because they trust the local hunters. Whereas you're someone from out of their area and they're thinking, well, if this guy gets bit, he could sue me something, something. And, you know, there's a disconnect there. We're working to bridge it. Well, and, and it's like, so I, I like Louisiana pine snakes. I have a Louisiana pine snake. And uh, I went to a meeting once where it was mostly timber, either landowners or people that are in the business of actually cutting down timber and a few of the state like scientists. And the talk was about trying to protect them and what we could do with uh, land where they're on and all. And it, and it became very obvious that the biggest hurdle is timber guys don't want anybody to find one of these snakes on their land because then it becomes protected. And they talked about right. uh, when the woodpecker, when the uh, red cockaded woodpecker uh, became protected, they would start finding timber companies turning in trees with chunks cut out of them because they'd cut the the woodpecker home out of the tree so that no one would know there was a woodpecker on their land. Because if it is, then the timber has to stay and it's protected and you can't cut it down. And so it's uh, that kind of, kind of thing right there. It, it's definitely one of the hurdles. And a lot of people like in West Texas and Western Oklahoma where rattlesnakes are still hunted, a lot of these people, you know, are agricultural people, but they also hunt and fish. And, you know, I, I know people in Roundup communities that take their limit of deer every year. You know, they get like two with rifle, one with a crossbow or bow and arrow, then one with black powder. Well, you know, they're, they're making you know, a lot of money on those deer tags and things and deer licenses. And like with the Western Diamondback in the Western United States, you know, a lot of um, Roundup supporters still throw out the um, the uh, rationale that there's still a ton of land where these animals are not hunted. And I do believe that to be accurate um, in fairness to them. Uh, you know, there's, there's, thousands of acres of oil leases that aren't hunted. There's private ranches that do not get hunted. And, um, and recently, you know, I've seen extensions for the Atrox range uh, filed in the state of Oklahoma uh, and observed by people with scientific collector's permits. So even though we've been hunting Western diamondbacks in this part of the country for over a hundred years now, it doesn't seem to be wiping them out. I, I think the the eastern issue with the um, eastern diamondbacks is a much more dire situation. Do you have any idea how much actual uh, state biology or federal biology studies have been done on the population numbers? Like, do we know are they near a point where they could crash if we don't hunt them? More, more of the westerns and the eastern. The easterns, we know the numbers are going down. But has anybody actually done any work to see if we're reaching a point where we can't get back from? Um, the last study I know of in Oklahoma was done in 1988. Damn. I, yeah, and I don't think one has been done since then. And it was kind of more of a survey and not an actual study because snake population density is, is kind of hard to measure is from my understanding it's um, different than when you're dealing with like bison or elk and you can, you know, drive your truck across the field and count a herd of 20 and say, well, okay, they're doing right in the Northwest quadrant of this park, you know, versus, you know, rattlesnakes where, you know, you may, you know, 
never see them in one place for 10 years and then you see them all of a sudden, then you see 20 of them. And I, I, I'm aware of a study that was done from the University of Texas, I want to say in 2012. And there were previous studies done by people like, um, uh, the, Char- I believe, Charlie Painter and uh, Dr. Fitzgerald, uh, which is that file is actually in the Rise Against Rattlesnake Roundup's Facebook group. And they did studies like back in the 90s. So there have been studies done, but do do we know? No, we don't know. But the thing most biologists agree on is that the western diamondback rattlesnake is not going to be threatened anytime soon. Um, we see signs of things. We see smaller snakes getting turned in. We see the bigger ones getting wiped out because they have the big snake contests. Yeah. Where you know you, you know that you, you can get if you catch like a six seven foot long diamondback something like that it's going to bring a lot more money than these three four foot you know males that everybody seems to catch a lot of so they pay extra money for those and then so what what happens your big females get taken out of the population and it, you know I've heard a lot of different arguments um, none of them I know have been proven. Like, you know, they're hunting all the ones with – they're hunting the ones that rattle. The ones that rattle are the ones that get detected. So they get – so it's – we're training rattlesnakes not to rattle. Well, so, so you're making them more dangerous now. Good job. Well, Now they don't now they don't give you a warning. Well, and then someone else who knows far more about herpetology than me comes along and says that's inaccurate. And I'm like, you know, I'm you you know I, I I'm not sure. I don't know. But the thing I've – the thing that I've noticed from going to these hunts – every year for the last 10, 11 years of my life is you are seeing smaller and smaller snakes. Uh, you're, you very rarely see the, the bigger ones anymore. Some of your South Texas hunts uh, seem to turn some of those in, and some of the ones that show up in Sweetwater are actually caught down in the South Texas area. So, I mean, you know, it, it kind of seems like they, they keep going to they keep going further and further out to find the bigger snakes. Uh, that that's, that seems to be one trend that uh, they, the hunters themselves, don't argue. Well, and, and one argument that I that I find dangerous when there's no true scientific data behind it is the argument of populations are fine. We're finding tons of them all the time. The problem is you don't actually know what a ton of them really is. Like you know, you know what you're finding, but you don't know what that area really needs to carry to be able to keep up with rodent control and everything else. Because that kind of study is not being done, so it's just it's when when you you hear the general public go, well, we still find a lot of them. A lot is not a scientific number. Like there's no basis on a lot, right? That me. And, and that that's an excellent point. And I, I I wish that the game departments everywhere, anywhere these animals are are hunted legally, that they would they would take a more active role and actually um you know check boxes um and say okay you know this is a ticket for so many you know and this is how many this hunts turned in um there have been some sample studies i believe the kansas herpetological society did one on the one roundup that was in kansas for about 10 years and it it went under about a decade ago um, but, but you know, it's like it's it's kind of going to take involvement from the game departments, and I, I kind of feel like they're caught in the middle. They know that these hunts are not really ecologically sound, 
but none of them wants to be the guy that says, okay, guess what? You can't hunt rattlesnakes on your own property. You know, stuff like that doesn't go over well in Oklahoma or Texas. No. You, know, you know, what do you mean you, you can't tell me? I mean, you're going to tell me I can and can't do, do what I do on my own property. That that becomes very problematic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're fiercely independent here in Texas, that's for sure. Right, and, and Oklahoma's this, the same way. Well, there's. A, I was trying to look it up because I was trying to remember where it was because I knew in North Louisiana there's a uh, a snake rodeo every year on a uh, Lake Pro- on Lake Providence. Okay, yeah. And like, and they'll kill everything. It, it's whatever snake you find and catch. And so it's basically right. just a lot of killing of water snakes. Um, and, and people are like, "Well, we've got to protect our kids." I'm like, "Well, that doesn't mean you got to go out and kill everything." Right. Well, and a lot of people do will ne- uh, they, they they will never get that rationale. The good thing about that hunt is there there last time I heard there was a herp group on the ground good. doing surveys of the dead snakes and they were, you know, saying, you know, this is a, you know, banded water snake, this is a plain-bellied water snake. These are non-venomous. You know, like 12 to 15 cottonmouths get turned in. They're like, these are the venomous. And they're showing the public that the non-venomous far outnumber the venomous. But that's the same excuse you're going to hear everywhere is I have to protect my kids. Um, you know, it, I, and it's just I, I kind of find it almost hilarious because I spent a lot of time in the country growing up in thick, thick rattlesnake habitat. And where I was at, nobody had that kind of attitude. It was very um, influenced. Um, well, it was a Native American area. A lot of Cherokee, a lot of Cherokee Indians lived there, and you know they saw the rattlesnake as just another animal. You know, and they saw them as you know people with souls, and you know they didn't just kill them to kill them, and they didn't necessarily feel that they were any more dangerous than a coyote or a cougar or whatever. So, you know, I kind of I kind of have that aspect of seeing a different culture have a totally different view of the same same life form. Yeah, it, it, I mean, don't get me wrong. The the public view of snakes is definitely better in 2020 than it was 10 years ago. Right. It, it is. I mean, I mean, just just on the simple outlook of and I'll talk to it from from the pet side. Go to a reptile expo and see how many people walk around there and buy their first ball python, corn snake, or whatever. Where that number is a lot larger now than ten years ago. And I know that's not a wild rattlesnake, but that tends to translate into people that become more patient with snakes being around where they live, if they're okay with owning one in their house. Right. I I totally agree. Um, you know, we 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 are we are seeing the decline of the roundups. It is. It is slow. It is sure. It's not happening fast enough for anyone, but but we're we're seeing it. I mean, um, on page twenty seven of the Texas Rattlesnake Roundups book, they have a map of all the old hunts that were in Texas. I want to see the diagram was made in like the nineties, the early nineties, and there were forty four rattlesnake roundups in the state of Texas. You know, Del Rio, Claiborne, um, you know, San Angelo. Every town in Texas had a rattlesnake roundup, um, and today there's like you know five or six of them left, with Sweetwater being the big one in Texas. 
Uh, we've got some good sized ones in Oklahoma that totally fly under the radar because they generally, you know, avoid uh, national media, national attention, things like that. And some of them have been going on longer than Sweetwater. So, does anyone still do the uh, sleeping bag challenge or any of these things? <clears throat> yeah, um, I've got a, actually, I've got like, I know of two or three people who've done that recently. And I know of um, a, a friend of mine, guy who I actually know very well, and he's very, very, he's, he's kind of the pro snake guy. He's, um, <clears throat> he, he wants nothing to do with killing them, but he recently did a, um, a stunt in Okina, Oklahoma, where he got into a bathtub with 200 live rattlesnakes. Um, I was there. I videotaped the whole thing. Uh, it was done to, I guess, beat uh, Jack Bibby's record. Uh, Jack like had 120 at some somewhere in, I think, Brownwood, Texas. And people still do that kind of stuff. And um, they're still doing the sleeping bag stunts at some of the smaller Texas ones and a few of the Oklahoma ones. But even then, a lot of that stuff is kind of going to the wayside and people are starting to get away from that and frown on that. And then this roundup, like the Apache, Oklahoma roundup says, well, we're about education. We don't get into them with sleeping bags like they do, you know, down in Oglesby, Texas. Well, Oglesby, Texas, you know, says, well, yeah, but you guys kill them at your show. And, you know, if if these animals are killed, it's after they're sold here. You, you don't see a drop of blood at the Oglesby Roundup. So, you know, it's kind of – you kind of have this mishmash of uh, culture with these hunts. It's one of those, we're doing horrible stuff, but our horrible stuff's not as bad as your horrible stuff. Pretty much. And <laughs> um, like I said, I've, I've filmed some, like, really kind of incredible – stunts that i you know once again i do not condone i do not support i am not encouraging anyone to do this but um yeah if you're going to do this uh yeah i'll buy i'll buy you dinner if you if you i mean if you get me like a good film spot yeah you know (laughs) i'll I'll do this because i mean ultimately that's kind of what i'm what i'm doing now with the whole thing is more of a documentation process uh, a lot of my activist spirit has, um, I don't want to say slipped away, but you kind of bridge the roadblock of, you know, Texas Parks and Wildlife could probably make gassing illegal tomorrow with the stroke of a pen. This would cut the take in Texas by 40%. Okay, they're not doing it. We we pressured them to do it. A colleague of mine, a guy named Bill Rulon Miller, Uh, got together with some other scientists and he crafted a petition, delivered it to Texas Parks and Wildlife in 2010 or 2011. And it basically, he had, he had like a hundred different biologists, physiologists, doctors, all people with PhDs um, saying, Hey, Texas needs to make gassing illegal. They postponed it for like two years, and then the third year later, they pushed it off the shelf and said, we're not going to mess with it. And then they passed a state law that said any petition regarding our native wildlife has to be signed by 51% Texans. So, you know, which basically if we repeated the same process, it would make, you know, the petition that Bill did null and void because like only 30% of them were from Texas. So it's kind of like you do something, they come back with something better. 
And um, I noticed a reluctance from a lot of people in the Herp community to call out the game agencies to task on some of these issues. And I understand if they're working, trying to get a grant to study, you know, the the Western fence lizard or something in West Texas, they're not going to want to, you know, be in a position of going against the TPWD. I, I, I understand how that works politically, but eventually, um, you know, it, it's kind of on them, you know, it's, it's, it's on them to do the right thing. And um, I know there are people in, in t- the Texas and Oklahoma side of the game departments that um, think these hunts are still good and totally fine. And then there's a lot of people that don't like them, but yet they feel like their hands are tied. Like I can mouth off about this, but I'm going to lose my job if I do. <laughs> well, and what gets me the whole thing. So you'll have these documentaries out there, Put on put put out by people like PETA and the Humane Society about how horrible reptile keeping is as a hobby, and they'll go to shows. And right. I watched one where they filmed, you know, a show where ball pythons are obviously in deli cups for a show, and they talk about how we keep them in such small containers, and we, and we all know that that's all just blown out of proportion. It's ridiculous, but they're not, but they're not outraged at the at the rattlesnake roundups as much, which are way worse. And and I, and I get it. I mean, look. I know snakes aren't cuddly. And for the most part, most of us that like snakes like them because they're not cute and cuddly. They are the thing that people don't like, and we tend to like them for that reason. But if these were deer roundups and people were out there killing Bambi in public, in front of everyone, just slicing them up and then hanging them up on the wall, it'd be an outrage. Right. You know, it's the same thing. And I've spoken with representatives from different of these organizations, some of these different organizations, I should say that. I've spoken with um, people from um, local people from HSUS, people from PETA, and um, known some of them to picked up some valuable lessons from some of their ground people about how to get video of certain things. And, you know, and they ultimately, their people at the top kind of would probably, they will never come out in a press statement and say, hey, you know, locally, we cannot generate enough support behind this for it to be worth our time to recur money on our investment to get involved with this issue. No, but they could scare the person living in an apartment because the person next door to them could own a snake. And that's what they're going to cash in on. And and I, I, I don't know if it's because we're kind of, in a way, a smaller audience that's not going to band together. Because uh, I, see, I see the herp community, at least in in some of it in the field herping community. Oh, boy, I'm going to say this, and we're probably – this is going to be controversial for decades to come. But, you know, <laughs> but, you know I see a lot of division in the captive-keeping community. Um, people Absolutely. are beefing with other people, and it's like – you know, um, I know I know a group of um, people in the state I'm in who basically formed a doxing group for people of a certain political persuasion, and they're going after other reptile keepers. And all the time this is going on, the legislature is passing an exotic animal bill, and they did this because of the Tiger King series. Yeah. It was like such a big hit. Oklahoma doesn't want to be known as a as a place where people, you know, inbreed large cats for profit. And so, you know, here's people worrying about who voted for who 
and an exotics bill is sneaking right under everybody's nose. And if and I haven't seen any press releases about it from the people I would expect to see them from. And you know, it doesn't affect me that much because I'm not you know a captive keeper. Um, as, or I should say, not nearly as much as I used to be. Because one time I w- did have a pretty massive collection, and today I'm kind of like you know, oh yeah, you're going to put the snake down, or I'm going to find it a home. Yeah, okay, I'll take it in. You know, I but I don't. I'm not really generally in the um, you know captive keeping mode anymore. It's been five years since I've been to a reptile show. Um, so I'm just kind of detached from the scene, but I think they see us as a target that they they can divide and conquer, honestly. And someone out there will disagree with me, and, and that's fine. I mean, feel free to disagree with me and send me an email telling me why, why I'm wrong, and I'm just going to be sitting over here drinking a beer, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, and, I, and we talk about it a lot. I mean – and don't get me wrong. At points, and when I was younger, I I, I would like to argue, but I mean, I, I'm at the point now in the hobby and in my age where I'm like, look, there's a ton of ways to do all this, and if we just all get mad at each other because we're not keeping the exact same way as each other, that's that's not going to work. We we need to look. We all agree there are certain things that are wrong. We can team up on those, like team up on the things we agree on. There are things that we definitely agree should not exist. But just because uh, – and I do this because Robert builds snake racks. Just because people keep snakes in a rack doesn't make that person evil. Calm the fuck down. Right. There are other things to focus on. Exactly. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's an insane thing. I did, We did ask – we had uh, – we asked a question on our Facebook page this week because um, we knew we were having you on. It was what changes could rattlesnake roundups make that would allow them to still operate while being more ecologically friendly and if it was possible. Because I know a lot of these rattlesnake roundups, uh, their main argument is that it brings in a lot of money for these small rural areas where they're put on at. You know, they're not put on in downtown Dallas. You know, the, Right. And so I get that argument, whether it is valid or not. I fully understand it. And so – uh, and I asked the general, and, and of course, most of the people, I'm, all the people I'm asking on here are, are reptile people. So the, the number one thing over and over, and, and probably our buddy Riley Jemison just said, not killing them, which obviously is what we would all like. Um, I don't, I don't know if going straight to not killing them is the option as much as I would like it to be. Uh, I think a, a number system, an amount, maybe not killing all of them might be a, a good start. Well, um, some snakes do leave some roundups alive. Um, I have I have noticed that sometimes some that maybe have a certain pattern or something, um, they make their way into other places. And you know, and honestly, I'm kind of fine with that because I'd rather them make it there than to the chopping block. But what I would really push for. Is, is a limit system like any other game that the state regulates. I mean, they say you can take this many black crappie uh, if they're this size or over. Uh, you know, they say you can take this many dove or quail with your, with your hip permit in Oklahoma. You know, you can take three deer in Oklahoma, uh, you know, one by rifle, one by bow, you know, one by black powder. You know, they need something like that where, you know, a hunter can only turn in you know, 50 pounds or 100 pounds of, of Aatrox. And uh, and they they really, uh, once again, I, you know, these are things we've brought to game department's attention before 
when we kind of feel like we've been, you know, blown off, brushed off, whatever. And, you know, I, you know, what do you do with that? I mean, ultimately they have to be the people that say yes to it. Yeah. Um, I'm definitely want to distance myself from the far radical activist side that, that, you know, I got known for being back in the early, the late two thousands. Um, you know, I've seen some wild things over the years myself, but I think that's one thing that like, you know, allowing people to legally turn in 30 pounds of rattlesnakes a year, 50 pounds of rattlesnakes a year is, it would be a start. And I see like in, in Oklahoma, gassing is illegal. You cannot gas a burrow. It, it probably still happens in a little here and there. But I know of two different rattlesnake hunts in northern Oklahoma where I'm there every year at their weigh-ins. Um, they have become, you know, uh, friendly towards me. We used to, you know, we used to threaten to kill each other on the Internet and stuff. And <laughs> now they're like, you know, if I freehandle this guy, will you take a picture of it and send it to my uncle Louie in Ohio? I'm like, can I be there for the weigh-in? Yeah, deal. Okay. And so I'm there way in at like these two different hunts in northern Oklahoma. And when someone brings in a box of snakes that has been gassed, they're like, you know, take that shit and get it out of here now. You know, because they don't want to buy them. One, they don't know if it's a setup. You know, but two, it's also pretty obvious when the snakes, you know, act unnaturally and you open the box and you can smell gas fumes. <laughs> <laughs> that, you know, those snakes that have been collected by an illegal means. When I was um, a cop, we would have called that a clue. <laughs> right, exactly. And in Texas, you know, I understand it. When the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department did their working, snake harvest working group, which is still online, um, it's still it's still all out there. I, I think they estimated that if they were to quit using gasoline on burrows in Texas, it would cut the take of it would cut the population of rattlesnakes taken for the roundups by like forty percent. And I'm sitting there thinking, gosh, I kind of like that forty percent, you know, because I mean that's kind of a step towards management. I think in the back of their heads, they're thinking these people are trying to eliminate this altogether. Yeah. And while I would cut, while I personally would like to see that, I also know people like rattlesnake. People eat rattlesnake. Um, it's some people think it's tasty. I think it's nasty. I've eaten rattlesnake. I I don't recommend it, but I I kill deer and you know I eat deer. Um, I, I I hunt rabbit. So you know it's kind of you kind of have to weigh the whole argument. You know, do we, if we could, do we get rid of this altogether, or do we just find a way to like limit the number of females taken? Well, um, I think we we have a blueprint for this. We we have a blueprint in the United States for how to handle a reptile that the majority of people don't like having around. Right, and it's the alligator. The alligator almost went extinct. Right, we brought it back. We now have hunting seasons for them. We now control the population. They've done so well. We still eat them. We farm them. I mean, we do all the things people could still do the stuff they did with them a hundred years ago. We just don't make them go extinct like we were about to do. Well, and and you bring up a valid. A valid point is the alligator was one thing I was thinking about where, um, you know, we have hunting seasons on them. We have farms. I, ultimately, I, I kind of see competition as being another issue. Um, a lot of these roundups, they take the, the, you know, they take the gallbladders and sell them into the um, 
um, untraditional medicine market. Let me say that. Um, you know that they they do sell the meat to people, uh, things like that. And okay, so it, is it, it seems to me every untraditional medicine is to help guys get a hard on. Is it is it that that seems like the only thing they do? You know, I, I was going to say nailed it, but then I thought that'll get me. <laughs> it, it's pretty much that all over the world. It's it's like I mean, I, I've seen people buy rattlesnake gallbladders, so you know, ten of them in a bottle of vodka for like three, four hundred dollars at an Oklahoma Roundup, and um, it's usually the same cast of characters, if you know what I mean. I'm trying not to be politically incorrect, but yeah. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of folk medicine out there, and um, you know, these, these are things where, you know, that that's part of what drives the demand. And some of this, some of these things are exported back to, you know, Asian countries, uh, European countries, things like that. So, I mean, to me, you know, like in Oklahoma, we have a rattlesnake season. Um, you know, we have four months of the year where you can legally collect as many rattlesnakes as you want of most of your major species. And, um, it's my understanding that Texas does not have a season and that they're considered a non-game animal there, whereas they're considered a game animal here. Now, the gray, the, the gray area that's really kind of scary is the private property exemption. Like nothing exempts in Oklahoma. And I understand Texas to have something similar. Well, Texas is mostly private property is the, is the issue. Well, and so is Oklahoma. I mean, both the states are 95, 96% private property. There's an exemption clause on the Oklahoma game laws that state, you know, nothing prevents you from dispatching any reptile you deem a nuisance as long as it's not state protected. Well, the Texas horn lizard is protected in Oklahoma. The American alligator is protected in Oklahoma. Western chicken turtle is protected in Oklahoma. And the alligator snapping turtle is protected in Oklahoma. That's your state protected list. Do y'all have alligators up there? Uh, we do down in the southeast corner of the state. Really? <laughs> yeah, they are there. There's um, kind of like you, like you guys have them over in East Texas. It's kind of the same biome, kind of extends up into Oklahoma and Arkansas, and they are there. They're they're in small numbers, um, but they are there. We have them in the, I live in a neighborhood and we have lakes in the neighborhood and we have several alligators in the neighborhood lakes. Right. And people can learn to live with these animals if they're open to education. Um, that's the tough sell. Um, well, I kayak, know. I kayak fish and I live in Louisiana, but I'm on a bunch of kayak boards and you'll always get folks from up North, uh, wanting to ask people in Florida and Louisiana, well, what do y'all do when you're kayak fishing and there's alligators? Like, well, we just keep kayak fishing. And they're always right. like, I would never fish with alligators. I'm like, then you'd never fish down here. I don't know what to tell you. Right. Like they're, they're in every single body of water. You'll never fish. You got to learn to handle it. Just deal with them. They're there. Right. And, and, and that, that's kind of my philosophy on venomous snakes. I mean, if they were that dangerous, good God, I'd have been bitten by a hundred of them by now. Um, I do a lot of relocation work in my area. Like someone has a copperhead in their garage. I want them calling me. Um, cause I've got the tools, I've got the know-how, um, you know, I, you know, a lot of people still do kill things like that. It's sad. It's unfortunate, but at the same time, you know, where I grew up, I mean, you'd see 20 copperheads a night if you'd go out and walk the road in front of your house, yeah. uh, you'd see timber rattlesnakes all over the place. 
I mean, when I was five and six, I mean, I remember my parents making me put on these like knee high boots to go walk to the end of the driveway and get the mail. The snakes were there. We just learned how to live with them. Um, and honestly, I would like to see more of that mentality spread. And I, th I think it is spreading. Um, I, I don't have like any studies in front of me, but like attendance at a lot of these hunts are down. Hunts are slipping away. The people who hold these hunts and festivals and roundups together, what I see, what I see, the, pa the pattern I see in Oklahoma is, you know, Grandpa George held together, you know, this rattlesnake hunt for 40 years. He wants to pass it to his son. Well, his son is getting out of agriculture and taking a job in Oklahoma City um, or Tulsa or somewhere, you know, Dallas. And so he's not staying around the community. When that happens, the pillars of the community that hold these hunts together kind of say, well, okay, if I can't turn this over to someone, I mean, I'm getting too old to do it. And the hunt eventually dies out. Um, there's hunts that didn't happen this year with COVID. And I honestly expect a handful of them to not make it back, especially if we have a second season of COVID this spring. Um, you know, just people are going to get used to doing something else on that weekend. And the moment it makes them more money, damn, they're gone. So, I mean, overall, it's it's a bright picture, in my opinion. Well, and one of the uh, so one of the responses to our question about what they could do came from a friend of ours, Amanda Rua, who lives in Alabama, and it was about the op roundup, and right. uh, and so she said the op roundup would honestly do well if it stopped or redesigned their snake attraction. Op this year looked like a or last year it looked like a giant craft fair with bounce houses, had tons of vendors with huge range of goods and foods, had music festival throughout the day. Uh, she says there were rattlesnakes that were all wild caught, no water, kept in pens for three weeks prior to the event, and they were used for two small events, some sort of rattlesnake race. And it seemed like most people weren't even really there to watch the rattlesnake part in general, anyways. Uh, and she said if they changed the simple education to sim change it to education, relocation, and avoid interaction type presentations, uh, she doesn't think it would hinder sales or attendance. Her husband and her did the math, and they brought in roughly $60,000 that weekend just on food, admission, and bounce houses, and, and nothing to do with rattlesnakes. Well, so. and, and, and I, I, Matt, I have a lot, a lot of respect for the, the Rua family. They're some of my favorite people, um, and I know, da I know Dallas. I've talked to him quite a bit, and the, you kind of see the same thing out here to a large degree, but once again – you know, you have the carnival rides, you have the bands that come into play, you have the vendors. Um, they're making a lot of money from that, but they still, you know, sell like rattlesnake meat or gallbladders or whatever. And the rattlesnakes are becoming the, the kind of the sideshow of the rattlesnake roundup. I know people who will say, you know, I went to the Apache rattlesnake roundup and I didn't even see a single snake. It's like, well, if you don't pay an extra fee and go in these two little buildings, you won't. You know, it's it's one I'm very familiar with. And they're like, well, yeah, we walked around for blocks, never saw any snakes, but, you know, we played, um, you know, games and stuff and listened to a couple of bands and went home. So, I, I mean, once again, I, I would be all for and supportive of some of these larger Western roundups and, and the Eastern ones as well, keeping their own colony of snakes to use in the shows and show for education. Well, and learn how to sustainably farm one, maybe. I mean, we do it with alligators. There's got to be a – I mean, I get it. It's, it's not super safe, but none of it's super safe when dealing with venomous snakes. But if you can find a way to sustainably 
farm them for meat and for selling rattles on the end of sticks and selling all the stupid shit that you get at these shows anyways. Just like you find all that stupid kitschy stuff on a gas station on any highway in Louisiana, you can buy a alligator head or a foot on a stick to scratch your back with. Right. Um, I, I'm in total agreement. I think, I think um, commercially would be the way to end the demand of, of rattlesnake hunting because from what I've seen there, there part of it is a tradition thing like people in Western Texas, Western Oklahoma, they don't have places to fish. There's not a lot of water. So grandpa takes his, you know, grandson and they teaches him how to catch rattlesnakes. You're always going to have those kinds of people out there and around to some degree, but the commercial market, I mean, you could set up, um, a, a rattlesnake farm in, you know, somewhere like Wichita Falls, Texas, and either either you know breed them and and sell them to the Roundup uh, for use in them, which would and you'd have to beat the price that they were paying the hunters. But but something like that is to me a very valid way to to stop the excess abuse of the wild populations. Now, there's a whole other, you know, animal cruelty issue involved in a lot of the things that go on with roundups. But ultimately, you know, I'm kind of my, my greatest concern is, you know, what it's doing to wild populations. I agree with Amanda. The snakes are becoming a smaller, a smaller feature at almost every roundup. They're bringing in bands. They're bringing in carnival rides. Well, and. And Derek Dykstra also comments, you can still have the snake pits and snakes on display and all that stuff and still call it a rattlesnake roundup without the putting it up on a nailing it to a board and cutting it open and let people put blood on themselves. Like that's not necessary. Right. Um, you definitely could. And um, I mean, I, I think that's like totally acceptable option, totally acceptable way to go. What I've seen as being problematic is, you know, um, who's got a couple of hundred acres and wants to start a rattlesnake farm. Yeah. Um, well, me personally, I'm kind of, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of going there myself. I will say this, I will probably have a rattlesnake farm 10 years from now. Um, <laughs> it's been my dream since I was a little kid. Don't laugh at me, leave me alone. But <laughs> I'm all for that. You could build it, do it like, um, oh, what's the dude in Florida that used to inject himself with venom that he's dead now? But yeah, Bill Host. Yeah, Bill Host. He had like the concrete, like three foot or four foot wall and just a giant outdoor pit with a, and they, everything was inside that. Just right. build that on your property. Exactly. And uh, there was a guy named Bayou Bob in Texas who had a rattlesnake farm for a while. Um, I think he ended up getting out of it and I don't know why, but, um, but, it, but, you know, it's like something like that where, where you still have the mark where you're still satisfying the market for the product to me is, is, is a good option. Now, ultimately at the end of the day, that still means there's still snakes dying and I'm not, I'm not a fan of that. Um, you know, but at the same time, it's like, you know, I mean, like, like I've got a lot of friends who are venomous keepers and there's jokes. I'm not trying to offend anybody here, but you know, like ball pythons, why do you hear you hear cobra food? You know, I know you guys have heard those jokes and I'm not trying to anger anybody. Anger uh, away. Go ahead. Have at it. I yeah, do it all the well, time. Well, I, you know, I, cause I, I actually like normal ball pythons. I'm not crazy about all the wild morphs. I, I like the normal ones, 
but at the same time, they're being bred in captivity for that purpose. You know, things like that. Something like that is is a way that you could do something like what is done in Sweetwater, Texas, and still continue it. But then you have to get someone who wants to farm rattlesnakes. And that is a, a very tricky proposition. Look, if we can get coonasses in South Louisiana to farm alligators, there's <laughs> some guy, some lonely guy out in West Texas willing to just keep feeding rattlesnakes until he can sell them. Shit, I got a 10-year-old in the next room who would, that would be his dream in life to have a rattlesnake farm. There you go. Just raise your kid up to do it. And Well, like, like I said, I, you said you, it's still it's still snakes dying and that sucks. But, you know, I can't bring myself to eat alligator. I can't do it. I've taken care of them at a zoo. I just I can't do it. But I, I understand the need for selling alligator meat because people like it and it's farmed well. You know, there's a percentage of alligator babies that have to get put back out into the wild. That whole system I am in total agreement with. You know, you breed them in captivity, you release some back out in the wild. And everything goes on its way. And so as much as it may suck that a reptile is dying that we like, it's way better than them pouring gasoline down a hole and killing a bunch of them. I, I definitely agree. I, I think where you where you kind of run into some issue is, you know, like if you buy 200 acres, you have to fence in that 200 acres. Yeah. You have to make it where the snakes can't escape. Um, otherwise, your neighbors are going to blow up your property. Um, I mean, and and nobody wants that next door to them. And I disagree. I'll live next door. I I was going to say, you know, I I'm, I'm looking at eventually acquiring some land myself and potentially doing something along those lines. Um, now once again, you know, will it work? Will it be successful? Uh, is it something I'm, I'm going to, you know, I can't answer those questions, um, you know, I didn't know 10 years ago I would still even be involved <laughs> in this whole issue. But, um, you know, when you take someone who can breed something like the Western Diamondback Rattlesnake and feed them and raise them to a certain size and then make it more cost effective for a roundup to buy them from you versus giving hunters $5 a pound, $10 a pound, $3 a pound. I mean, that's very, very cheap. You know, I mean, I, um, you know, th- those are hard numbers to beat, and I think therein lies the problem. Yeah. I mean, rattlesnakes um, recently in Texas and Oklahoma were bought at roundups for a dollar to two dollars a pound. Anything over, anything over four foot was bought at four dollars a pound. That's hilarious because if you go to a reptile expo to buy it alive as a baby, it's going to cost you far more than that. <laughs> yeah. It, exactly exactly and um so it's it's kind of it's kind of a market economics deal where all these little communities have you know they work together they that they know who the snake people are and things like that and but i honestly i i think we're going to lose another two roundups in the next 5 years of the 12 or 13 that are going on in the Texas Oklahoma theater I think another two of those are going to go dormant. I'm not going to say which ones, um, but I kind of see some writing on the wall. Um, this is all I've done with my life for 11 years is drive to these dang things, go in, get to know people, get information, get out. And I, I just think I, I think their time in this country is, is coming to an end. And that's why today a lot more of my efforts are focused on 
documenting the things that ha- happen because I think 50 years from now, someone at Nat Geo is going to be interested in the pics in the video. Well, and I just, I, I think it would be so easy to turn these things into a celebration of rattlesnakes versus a destruction of rattlesnakes and still get the same kind of show up nowadays. It may not have been 20 years ago. They may go, no, we still should kill them. But I think you can bring in enough people now and call it the celebration festival or whatever, a rattlesnake festival. And there's no killing. It's all celebrating the natural history of them and where they live and all that and still get the same money basically because everything's money based. Well, I, I, I think, I, I think that it could be done with the right set of factors um, that get pulled together. What I've noticed is a lot of people in towns where a roundup has occurred for 30, 40, 50, 60, up to 80 years is that there were a when the area was settled, there was a large population of snakes. People got bit. And medicine back then was not what it is today. Um, you know, and, and people people hold on to, um, you know, these beliefs and things. I mean, there's still some people out there that believe venom taken from Roundups is sold for anti-venom purposes. Uh, we know that's pretty much all been debunked as of like about 10 years ago. Uh, one time in history, we we believe it to be true, but you know that's. But that's know, all done in sterile labs. Like they're not doing it in the back of some truck. It's not right. But at the same time, you know, I, I talked to a, a friend of mine at the um, at the Oglesby Rattlesnake Roundup, and he said that you know that the co- local a college that was down there by Austin or somewhere used to come and would, they would buy venom from them, and they were using it like in lab experiments. And things and that, you know, wasn't being used for anti-venom purposes. But there's only two roundups I know that still even collect venom in any form of method where they could actually do something with it. And that's two out of the remaining 12 that are in this part of the country. So, I mean, we just I just don't see a lot of good reason for these to continue to go on. I think, you know, we need to get everybody snake boots and say, watch where you put your hands. Because, I, I, I mean, it worked on the eastern side of the state, and there's, you know, like in places like eastern Oklahoma, uh, you know, I, I've had records of 25, 30 copperheads a night. Okay, you know, why are these things going on? Copperheads still biting people on occasion, but they don't have a roundup. You know, people have learned how to not get bit. People have learned how to live with these animals. Uh, some people may still kill them but they don't go out and gather them in mass. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a different scene, but, um, and I would think that eventually, you know, hopefully some people from this generation, the generation younger than me, uh, move into areas where there's still traditional roundups, uh, talk to these people, start influencing them. There's a hunt in Northern Oklahoma where I brought a friend of mine to and he said, guys, let's quit pinning rattlesnakes with, with snake hooks because they're pinning them on a, like a concrete floor. And, you know, that can cause some cranial damage if not done with precise caution. And he pulls out a set of tubes. He says, look, use one of these, you know, take the hook, you know, get the snake into the tube you can safely restrain the snake. You can still hold it over the side of the wall. Let the kid feel the rattle. 
things, little things like that to me are kind of the start of things going a longer way. Um, but like I said, it's going to take support from that community. And if that community has lost a child to snake bite or, you know, lost, um, you know, people to snake bite, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a tough sell. I mean, I've, I've talked to them. It's, it's pretty, <laughs> it's, it's not an easy feat. I don't know. It's, just, it's still, it's still crazy to think that it happens in 2020 like that. That's still a thing, but it is people still do it. And but like you said, it, it looks like it's on its way out. It's just for some of us, which wish it was on its way out 20 years ago. Right. And I just, I mean, basically from having gone to these things for years, I, I've watched one after the other die out. I mean, I, I had made plans to be in the, at the Taylor, Texas roundup um, about seven, eight years ago. And I think it was, it was the year that they pulled it and it went under. And so we're seeing more and more of these just go under and disappear on their own without any action from us. You know, so I, I'm thinking, you know, people aren't going to these events like they used to. They're not making the money they used to. And, you know, I, I think of, I think probably kids younger than me, a kid who is 20 today in his you know, 60s or 70s is going to be looking back and saying, what was the rattlesnake roundup? You know, I'm, at least I'm hoping, you know. <laughs> so. Yeah. Huh. Well, let's move on to something less, well, I say less depressing, but I, ha- I think what I'm going to talk about next is not, is not great. It's not rattlesnake roundup depressing. Okay. Uh, but it, it's it's something I had happen to me this week, and I kind of just wanted to talk about it because I want people to to hear it so it doesn't happen to them. Right. Uh, so in, my, in, in one of my snake cages, I would mentioned this to to Robert before we got on the air. Uh, I got a Brettles python, a little snake cage, and I've got uh, – I've been trying to get the lighting in this cage. This cage is not meant to have lighting. I've had so many issues trying to put lighting in this little tiny cage. But the the wire for the light I had running through the back of it, but I had Gorilla Tape holding the wire to the top. I come in and it's been in there for months. I come in the other day and all I can imagine is my brettles python got enough of its tail up where the where the tape wasn't and pulled it down. Oh no. And then got the gorilla tape sucked to his chin, uh the middle of his body and the tip of his tail while attached to his perch or her oh, her geez. perch. And so then I had to get her out. I had to cut tape off while she's sitting there opposite and her I mean her chin looked like it was never going to stretch back to where it was. It's fine now, but I mean, it was just loose and hanging and it looked horrible. Had I not known, I mean, I knew that like, okay, it can stretch this much and we're good, but it looked bad. So then I had to take a bowl of just vegetable oil and Q-tips. And I just started soaking down every part where the tape was and basically had to hold the tape and let her kind of pull her body in the opposite direction until we got her off. She's, she's really shiny now. She's got vegetable oil all down her body. So she's super shiny. <laughs> um, and I can tell she's gone up and down the glass of her cage now because it's all gross. But um, she's fine now. But when it happened, I was like, this, and, and my first thought was, this snake is never going to fucking let me hold her again. Because <laughs> like, Brettles pythons are somewhat intelligent, and she's going to be like, oh, we're not doing this shit again. You're going to have to leave me alone forever. Exactly. Um, and, I, and I got it off, and I'm good. And she actually ate last night for me, no problem. But... I will never, and, and I've used tape in cages before, but normally it's like to tape a, like a thermostat probe to the side wall and there's no cord. Like it's, 
there's not really any way for them to get hung up on. And I didn't think she, it could mess her this way, but yeah, it did. She, she got into it and it was, it was a nightmare. And so I just want anybody out there who's ever, if you're taping anything on the inside, real tape, duct tape, anything, understand this can happen. Uh, and it sucks. It was horrifying. Sounds like it. It just, the skin on her chin was just hanging down like an extra inch or so. I'm like, oh God. And so I was just left her sitting in a tub for a while. Then I put her back in a cage and checked her the next day and her mouth looked good. And I was like, all right, we're back to normal. But yeah, now she huffs and puffs every time I open the cage. <laughs> I bet she does. She is not uh, happy. Sounds like we both uh, had, had, had rough weeks. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> that would suck. Uh, I know, Robert, I, you had, you did not have a great day. No, I, uh, I fed my, I have a, uh, an adult male exanthic subak, a um, transpecus rat snake, and I also have a female normal. And I came in this morning to feed him. Uh, I fed him this morning. He eats a, a, a fresh killed mouse. So I put it in there with him, but he's very shy. You know, they're a nocturnal animal. So I just leave it in there and come back and check on him later in the day and see if he ate. Well, I come back. He was, he was moving around and stuff there this morning. Look, look like his normal self. Uh, about four o'clock, I came to check on him and he was laying in the front of his, he's in a four foot, um, animal plastics T8 and he was laying along the glass and I'm just like, he, he just, the way he was laying was kind of weird. So I opened it up and picked, just touched his tail to see if he would move and he didn't, which is odd for him. So I picked up his, his tail and dropped it and it just flopped. And, uh, unfortunately he had passed away. And I have no idea why um, he was perfectly healthy up to this point, as far as I could tell. So um, he's in the freezer now. I may end up having a necropsy done on him to see what happened because uh, I have, I don't know, close to 70 snakes. And he was my favorite <laughs> by far. So uh, that kind of sucked sorry today. To and yeah, thank you. Well, and I but, told you earlier, Robert, that happens a lot. And I don't think it gets talked about enough, you know, yeah, we always talk about like the people that have animals die and it was their fault, so they did something horrible. But, like sometimes they just die, and it, I think that's almost worse because you can't pinpoint what you like if you did anything or if it just died. Right. You know, I grew up on a farm. I'm used to animals dying. You know, it, it happens. So for me, it, you know, it sucks. But you know, Logan, my ten year old, was standing right next to me when we discovered it, and it hit him pretty hard. He he was pretty pretty upset about it, but. You know, we, we jumped right in there and went ahead and cleaned the whole enclosure out and and uh, disinfected it and whatnot. I did find under his hide where I don't know if it was he had he had thrown up or he had pooped, but it was like this yellow, runny, nasty smelling, terrible smelling stuff uh, that seemed like it was pretty fresh because it was still wet. So I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm at a loss for what happened to him. Well, I tell you, there's always that one special animal, too, that, like, I know from having a large collection that, like, you you lose that one. For me, it was a butterfly agama. I didn't expect the lizard to live two weeks after I got it uh, because it was in such bad condition. But you lose that one special animal. It kind of means the world to you. So I know you're I know it's not a good day. I mean, no, my heart goes out to you. Thank you. Thank you. So, Todd, I'm assuming you're you're an old school herper. Like you, I just picture you kept like lizards and col- colubrids, like back in the '80s. Well, um, probably more than '90s, and the um, 
in the 2000s, probably around 2011, 2012, all this stuff with the roundups took off. And that requires me being gone a lot of my weekends. Um, but yes, I, I have I have kept um, colubrids, uh, different assorted venomous um, things. I've, I've kept uh, turtles, um, tortoises, uh, monitor lizards. Uh, pretty much, you, you, with with the exception of mambas, you name it, I've kept it. So I I, I kind of um, relate to that side of the planet too. So venomous. What's your what kind of rattlesnakes they have in Oklahoma? I, I mean, I know westerns are all over the place, but what all else do y'all have over there? We have a um, we have the the western massasauga. We have the western pygmy rattlesnake. We have the timber rattlesnake. We have the western diamondback, which is probably the most commonly encountered snake in the western part of the state. And we have uh, small populations of prairie rattlesnakes. Uh, Crotalus veridus. It seems like I'm leaving one out, but um, I think I think that's um, I think that covers it. Though um, we don't have, um, I was trying to think of another species that's nearby. We don't have things like Mojaves or rocks, blacktails. Those those aren't in Oklahoma. Uh, you, you start finding those down in West Texas, uh, but we have we have um, generally your smaller species, and then the Western Diamondbacks and the Prairies, and we've got a pretty strong population of heritus which um you know i still wish would, would get protected that really bums me out when someone shows up at a roundup with a box of 20 of those yes um, I, I was i was really bummed when they they took them off the protected list in texas those and they took the the indigo our texas indigo off the protected list as well which i, I don't know it blows my mind that that, that texas did that but they say the population stable enough, so they did. Of course, all the hunting groups I'm in now, everybody's killing every every uh, timber they come across. And guys in East Texas are talking about, you know, trying to start a roundup for for timber rattlesnakes, which I, I don't think. Hopefully, they can't get that organized, but uh, I I just don't get it. Yeah, the the timber, honestly. In, in at least in like places like East Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, their habitat and their 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 historical range has just been so decimated. Mm-hmm. You hate to see you hate I hate to see any of them hunted. When they're a rarity in roundups in Oklahoma, I know in Texas they would they would never get turned in. Um, they might get killed out back or something, but they'd never make it to the snake pit. And. Um, you know, but I don't know if we'll start seeing them there now. Now that they can be hunted there, um, but what 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 the dynamic is is in Oklahoma, some of the roundups are not too far from timber rattlesnake territory, and whereas like most of the roundups in Texas are totally in West Texas, you know, we have some that are more towards the central part of the state, so. It, it's not un, it's not unheard of for someone to show up with a box of like 20, 25 timber rattlesnakes. It is a rarity. Usually most of them have one or two, and they use those for the purpose of showing them to the audience and saying, this is a eastern Oklahoma rattlesnake. You know, this is, you know, this is it. And, you know, we've got one here. But, um, you know, when, when, um, when you see a box of timbers come in at an Oklahoma roundup, it, it it always gives me a bad feeling in the stomach because they 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 buy and sell for a little bit higher 
price than the the Aatrox do, and they're used in a soup. Um, yeah, certain people make um, a soup with timber rattlesnakes, and they prefer the timber rattlesnake meat to the Western Diamondback. Well, see, that's funny because, like, Louisiana, they'll eat any damn thing here, and that is definitely not something I've heard of here, and we have tons of them. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean don't, don't be wrong. You right. get down south Louisiana, they will eat literally anything, and that's just not one of them. Well, and I, a lot of Oklahoma and a lot of Texas, I, I believe, is that way as well. Um, I think it, it, you have to get in your smaller communities. But I know, like in when I was when I was younger in Oklahoma, you know, people would eat, you know, make turtle soup and stuff like that. And you find a snapping turtle crossing the road; it's going in someone's pot somewhere. And um, you know, so I, I think it's probably more common than we think. But when I was at a roundup two years ago and someone turned in a box of like 25 timber rattlesnakes and um, I'm pretty sure I know the den site they picked at. Um, and, and, you know, and once again, it's, it, they were, people were buying them to, um, you know, make soup. And I, I asked one of them, you know, what is, what, what, why not use the other rattlesnakes to make? the soup and they're like well this one has a better flavor and i'm sitting here thinking god you know i ate a western diamondback rattlesnake one time it was part of a deal i was doing with vice i was in one of the vice videos on the roundups and they got some like b-roll of me like eating rattlesnake in sweet water and i i did it just because like they ran out of model releases they were going to ask someone else and they were just like can you do it and i'm just like oh gosh you know, so here I am. You feel like you're eating your best friend or something. You know, you just you like you said about the alligator. You can't bring yourself to do it. No. And it was kind of a hard thing for me. But even then, I'm sitting there eating the stuff, thinking, "Wow, people enjoy this." But you like, wonder if it's do they really enjoy it or do they enjoy it being rattlesnake? Like if if it if it was chicken and it tasted the same and it was would they really eat it or they go this chicken tastes like shit and move on, or is it because they can go. I'm eating rattlesnake. It just seems like it may feel better to them when they're eating it. Maybe. Um, if I make the circuit this spring, uh, that'll be a question I'll ask. I'll be like, okay, what, 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 what is it about rattlesnake that you like? Cause to me, it just didn't even have much taste to it. It was um, pretty, it was just pretty like, why would you eat this? I mean, if I, I can understand why you would eat it if you were starving, <laughs> and hadn't had any food in three days. I can't understand why, like in Sweetwater, Texas, they have a snake eating contest. And it's who can eat the most snake in 30 minutes. And I'm like, my God, I could barely get past two bites. It's like Crocodile um, Dundee said, it. you could live off of it, but it tastes like shit. Right, exactly. <laughs> you exactly. should take a plate of like uh, fried chicken tenders and fried uh, snake and just tell them that they're both chicken, just two different recipes. Ask them which one they like. And I'm willing to bet every time they're going to choose the regular, the, the actual chicken over snake. Uh, if they didn't would, in their head think it was snake. I would hope so, but <laughs> we may have to try that someday. Ugh, that's yeah. horrible. Oh, man. Anyway, oh, I uh, I did want to talk about a couple of things. So we, for anybody listening, we did start a, uh, if y'all haven't heard, a reptile gumbo podcast discussion group page on facebook just so we could have people post in things they thought were interesting and there were a couple of interesting articles that got posted lately 
And, and the one that cracked me up the most was uh, titled was my unexpected working from home problem. The noise from my husband's oversex tortoises. And so this woman was having to make, uh, having to work from home and over business calls, uh, the people could hear the tortoises having sex in the background because you've never heard small tortoises have sex. It's like squeezing a squeaky toy. Yeah. And so she, someone asked her if it was her dog, and she said, yes, yes, it was. She lied to them because she didn't want to say it was her husband's tortoises having sex in the background. <laughs> I was like, that's a hilarious problem to have. And then, and then they put them in the refrigerator to put them down for brumation. But, uh, but before that, there was a high-pitched squeaking noise that was heard on, on her work phone calls, which was the door. She said every day they'd wake up, they'd ram the side of the cage for several hours, or like four of them, and then they'd eat. And then they'd go to having sex and just squeaking away. Like, that, yeah. I, I've heard tortoises have sex and yeah, it's, that could be very interesting. Well, you get the, you get the little ones which squeak and then like, I'll hear my sulcatas every now and then. And I have, I have one small female, no one mates with her. The other, the two big ones are males and they'll assert their dominance. And every now and then you'll walk outside and you'll just hear, Ugh. I'm like, ah, oh, they're at it. <laughs> right. you know? And I remember being like when I was a zookeeper and the kids, would walk by the tortoises, but they didn't actually notice the tortoises, and they'd hear that noise. They go, "What's that noise?" And it would just I'd bust out laughing every time. <laughs> right. I mean, you can only, only imagine, you know, like three hundred pound Galapagos tortoises or like two hundred pound sulcatas just that low go over and over again. And it's just if you ever watch them have sex, it's just so ridiculous. You wonder how they've reproduced for millions of years. Um. Yeah. Uh, Exactly. <laughs> I was I was able to get some video. I have a YouTube channel, um, and I'd I'd appreciate it if all your listeners would go check it out. And I did and, the other day. I did go okay. look at it, and um, I got some <clears throat> eastern box turtles mating at the Knoxville Zoo like four years ago. Um, <laughs> I was out that way, and um, like a hundred people watched it, and I thought for sure this is going to go viral, right? No, it didn't. But um, <laughs> some of my other videos um, are, you know, pulling the rest of the channel along. I do have two different YouTube channels that have Roundup-related video on them um, outside of my main YouTube channel. <clears throat> what are they? Well, um, the thing I want to throw out the caveat. You know, I kind of have kept these channels under the gr under the radar because I don't want people going there and then flagging the videos. Gotcha. You know, you know what I mean. It's sometimes that effect happens. But but um, one is called Roundup Rodeo, and the other is um, YouTube.com backslash R A R R O K L A, uh, which is short for Rise Against Rattlesnake Roundups Oklahoma. Um, most, most people, probably a lot of people from your podcast would, would be familiar with some from that, uh, last one I gave you, because that was when we were producing a ton of video from different roundups and, and these, the roundup rodeo channel is more of a documentation and just, you know, like, you know, it's, it, it doesn't have the activist vibe, but my main YouTube channel, what I'm trying to do is specialize in macro shots of venomous animals to show people that, you know, if left alone, they just kind of, you know, get on about their business or they, they leave you alone. They don't, you know, there's not, you know, 50 bite 
bites to the the camera and stuff like that. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm definitely pushing that one, that main one. So what's your main one? What's the, what is the main one? The main one is uh, Todd Autry. It's just under, you, you would just look under Todd Autry and it would, it would pop up. If you had a problem finding it, I'd say Todd Autry rattlesnake and it'll just pop right up. Cause I, I watched one the other day. Uh, like I said, maybe the most recent one you put, it was y'all were out. It was you and a younger gentleman. You were out herping road cruising and you found a garter snake that just went to town on his arm. Yeah, that's Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, and then it got to me thinking because people, there's the whole people talk about uh, garter snakes being like mildly venomous. And I just wonder if his arm, like if it did it swell up, did it burn itch or anything for the, the next day or so? Cause I mean, that snake really laid into him. Yeah, um, his arm didn't swell, but I cut away from the audio like a few like a few minutes into that scene. I cut away from the audio because he's like, "Man, I think I'm feeling something," and I'm like, "No, dude, it's all in your head. Just calm down, you know, because we, we got more herping to do." <laughs> and, <laughs> You're fine. Rub some dirt on it. We got more stuff to do. <laughs> exactly, and he's um he's the guy I've herped with for ten years. I've watched him grow up. He's he's an incredible guy, and but um yeah, but we just we we just kind of chronicle different things, but kind of what I use that channel to highlight is like like macro shots of rattlesnakes, macro shots of cottonmouths, things where you can, where, you know, like you can say, oh, cottonmouths chase you. Well, here's me chasing this one down and messing with the hook for 10 minutes to get it to stay still so I can photograph it. You know, a lot of stuff like that. Um, definitely trying to get that channel out uh, because, um, you know, I filmed at a thousand roundups, uh, photographed at a thousand roundups, and I will still continue that kind of work. But ultimately, it's just like, you know, I, you kind of see the writing on the wall for some of this stuff. And um, hopefully, you know, I, I'm kind of hoping to retire and sell more footage. I have sold some of my footage before. It's been used in National Geographic specials. Yeah, um, not made a lot of money, but um, and, and enough to justify the habit. I'll say that, um, you know. So I'm kind of definitely promoting that um, that one main YouTube channel. And I just uh, sent you guys a join request to the Reptile Gumbo podcast, and I'll you know sooner or later I'll drop links to all those channels in there, um, you know. But it's just, and I'm always I'm always up for discussing roundups anytime anywhere with anyone who can do it rationally there are people who cannot do it rationally and uh, yes yeah, i have i have and i'm talking about people inside the reptile community who are like you know they're like you know i you know for they they seem to think extremist actions will kind of work and um just it's my opinion that they won't and it's also my opinion that if you think this will work, then get your ass out there, skip and try them. Well, we, we live in a world where there is no uh, middle ground, uh, unfortunately. Everything should be in the middle ground, but there is no middle ground. And that's that. It's You either are for or against, and you cannot, you're not allowed to be in the middle and see it both ways. Right. And I mean, like, you get those comments all the time of, you know, like, well, why didn't you – why didn't you jump in the snake pit and just throw all the snakes out of the pit and let them go? Or Yeah, that's good. Why didn't you beat that guy in the face? Well, one, I know that guy. His name's Kenny. He's got three guns on him. Um, he's about three times the size of of me. I mean, I'm you know if I'm I'm going to go to town on someone, I'm not going to hit that old boy there. But you get these comments from the peanut gallery, and it's just maddening because it's like because well, uh, they're 
they're very tough from the seat of their well from basically from their toilet as they type it while watching it on youtube that's that's exactly and and so like like really it is a it's still a subject i'm passionate about i will be in the field another five years if i if i have my way i'll be in the field another five years uh visiting these things gathering information documenting so you know i mean i'm always open to talk about it with anyone who is um you know rational (laughs) you know if if someone you know wants to talk about well you know you need to do this or do that or use explosives i'm like okay just go away you know (laughs) so so i okayed your adding to our uh our group and i saw your dream reptile was a cobra and i'm like that's crazy no i I just tried that i've actually owned cobras before i mean really yeah i've owned a couple of monocles See, um, I, I, they're too smart for me. I like my snakes dumb and slow, so that's why I like pit vipers. Dumb and slow works for me. Well, cobras, I, cobras think too much. We see, I, and I, I have the opposite view. I think rattlesnakes are far more dangerous. <laughs> like I would much rather mess with a cobra than like a western diamondback rattlesnake. See, <laughs> but, I've never, I've never dealt with westerns. I have heard they're assholes. They are. They they can be, and prairie rattlesnakes too. But I just I just threw something in there because you know if you guys if you don't put something in the box, you know no I may one, not let you in. You may not let me in, and and and, and so I, I want to be around if there's any discussion after the facts. <laughs> you can just tag me. <laughs> I, uh, one interesting thing that I had happen this week was uh, I finally bit the bullet and put my rubber boas in brumation. Uh, because oh, wow. I've, I've been horrified to do it because I've never had to put something like most people talk about putting their snakes information talking about like corn snakes or something. And they're like, we just turn the temperatures off, but no, these things are in a wine cooler and, uh, it's actually down to, I think 45 degrees is where I have it set right now. Right. Um, I temp gunned them earlier today and they're at 48. The snakes are, and there's ice. So the other day I took the box out and there was ice on the outside of the box. And I was like, Holy shit, there's ice on this box. And I have snakes in here. I temp gunned them. I held them. They moved around. They could, they didn't care at all. I'm like, you've got to be shitting me. No it's the scariest <laughs> thing on earth to have snakes inside of a box with ice. And he has been absolutely horrible to deal with since he has put them in the cooler i would just like to state for the record yes uh, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sure it's 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 hard to cool an animal um i mean it, that provokes anxiety of itself just doing that because you feel like you're depriving the animal of what you know it to need but you know those rubber bows will be fine oh yeah they they seem well i was talking to, to uh, my buddy uh, Travis, who also has rubber boas, and he said the first year he put them in his garage and it got down to like 25 or 23. I'm like, Jesus Christ. Just because like if you own snakes, especially like I own sand boas and boa constrictors, and it's like, got to keep them warm, got to keep them warm. And all of a sudden, hey, I should put these things on ice. They really want to be cold. <laughs> it's culture shock for a tropical keeper. I, I mean, I, I've been there and I've, I've done it and I can, I, can, I can assure you, you're not the only one who's had it. <laughs> He's needed a Xanax and a beer. After. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's going to there's be three months of me just freaking out every day thinking, oh, God, are these things still alive? How lucky for those of us that live here. <laughs> oh, well, and, and, I get the messages you know, too, Katie. You know, to, to steer back towards the roundup issue, you know, like I know people here in Oklahoma who catch rattlesnakes in the fall out of season, that's a big no-no, leave the box sit in their garage over winter. And you're talking about like Western Oklahoma gets it gets not excruciatingly cold there, but it gets down in the teens and the twenties. 
and stuff. And then they bring the rattlesnakes back out in March. And it's just like, wow, are there any still alive? Because, you know, you wouldn't think that under those kind of conditions they would. But I think snakes are more cold tolerant than we've previously thought. At least it seems that way. Well, especially like North American species. I, I don't yeah. think we give enough credit to North American species. They get pretty cold in the wild. But uh, yeah. I had I posted in, in a riverboat group and I had a guy – I posted a picture of it and like, all right, here goes my three months of freaking out. And he goes, well, why are you, why are you brumating them? I was like, cause it's winter time. Well, you only have to brumate them if you're, if you're breeding them. I was like, well, they've quit eating. So I need to slow their metabolism down because they're putting themselves through brumation. So like that, that whole thing was, I'm thinking well, in the wild, they don't go, man, it's 23 degrees outside, but you know what? I don't plan on breeding this year. Let me go crawl across this ice. Right. Like that's, you know, if if the animal tells you it doesn't want to eat any more, then it probably wants to go into brumation. Yeah, and they, and they don't. They, they they there was a switch. You could tell when it was like, all right, we're done eating, so we'll eat again in March. You see, and I'm glad you brought up the rubber boas because I I didn't know that anyone was like actively working with them. There there probably are some other people. There's a handful. A little disconnected from the scene to know. Uh, but yeah, you know, that'd be, that'd be interesting. So I, I hope I, um, can, um, follow that progress. I love that. It's a, it's been a childhood dream to have one. I remember like, and I've talked about it here before, but I remember seeing the picture of them in the Audubon field guide going, that's the coolest thing on earth. It's, it's a boa in the United States. And then like, you never see them. And now I own four of them, which is just super weird. I'll be honest. I don't get the allure. They look like weird worms. Wait till they're older. And I just, but he, he has been on cloud. 15 since he got these they're awesome i was gonna say roll with it and be happy because, I know. you know it's it's i'm the supportive you know, spouse i do a good job at that role <laughs> an, an old friend of mine actually went up to oregon from oklahoma oregon or washington and to field herp one and that was like his life dream to go do and he did it and actually found them and um then um he got pictures of them and stuff. And I was just like amazed because like you said, they're a North American mini boa and they're just fascinating animals. And I, I totally understand how some people wouldn't see the allure of them. But if you're a snake geek, like, like I am, you know, it's just, oh yeah, they're mind blowing. Well, it's funny the day I put them in the fridge and this kind of ties in everything because it goes to YouTube. Uh, Dave Coffin put out a video where he went herping. It was him, Brian Cusco and Brian, uh, is it Gundy of, um, freedom breeder and they were in northern california and they flipped a piece of tin and there's a full-grown rubber boa and i'm just thinking that's the coolest thing on earth to see this rubber boa in the wild um and i just put my little tiny babies in the fridge i'm like i cannot wait until they're i say big but you know big is for females like oh it's two foot but it's right. the coolest thing to, i couldn't imagine seeing one of those in the wild my buddy travis said uh before that you know, he was camping and it was like 40 degrees at night. He put his hand down on the ground and one went crawling across his hand. It's like, and, and who, who, I mean, you could only dream of that experience. Yeah. You know, I mean, it just, it just doesn't get much cooler than rubber boas. If you're dealing with North American snakes, especially if you're going to go into the non-venomous, it's rubber boas are awesome. One of the cool snake he found, uh, the, um, that Dave Kaufman found in that video for anybody hadn't seen it yet was he found the San Francisco garter snake, um, yeah. which is the one, you know, whenever everybody's picture of a beautiful garter snake, it's that one. And they live like in one pond in California. 
but I, I would love to see those get established in captivity somewhere. Uh, well, would... he talks about we're we're gonna basically uh, cause them to go extinct because they don't allow them to do in captivity. You know, they're so protected, we're protecting them to death. You know, if you right. can let them go into captivity, we could definitely turn that around because there's definitely enough people in this country that could breed garter snakes. You know, right. Yeah, I, and that's the thing is is one th- one thing. Getting back to the timber rattlesnake in Texas issue, I'm sitting there thinking, okay, they've been delisted. Used to they were protected, and you could only own one under a permit if it came from out of state. Are people going to be able to breed those in Texas now? What's that? The timber rattlesnakes? No, they they uh, they blacklisted them in Texas, so you can't you can't breed them. You could breed them, but you can't sell them. Same thing with the indigos. So you can, you can breed them, but you can't sell them? Yes. Well, I, mean, <laughs> I was going to say, that's okay. Y'all breed them and just give them to me, and I know what to do yeah. with them after that. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like uh, the Louisiana Louisiana pine snakes. In Texas, they're super protective because of one little tiny pocket where they could possibly live. Right. Um, you know, and Yeah, we, we got, can't even have them in Texas. Yeah, I, I've got one. Um, which was obviously captive bred, but I know the folks that deal with trying to find them in the wild, like some of the forestry people that go out and check the traps. And even with releasing them, they're lucky to find at max five a year, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, so. and, and, and I, we, we had a colony at the Tulsa Zoo, and I think they moved them to the Memphis or Knoxville Zoo. Memphis. It was Memphis. Okay. <laughs> That's good because I. I'm no stranger to the Memphis or Knoxville Zoo, but I was there. I was at the Knoxville Zoo shortly after they had that horrible incident where the reptile building had a malfunction or something, and a lot of the reptiles um, perished. Yikes! Oh no! And yeah, it was. Um, you, it, it's been probably five, six years ago, maybe longer. But um, there was like a backup or something. It caused a carbon dioxide backup in the in the reptile building oh damn and they lost a, ton, a lot of animals and it was just absolutely heartbreaking but there was kind of this 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 talk among local herp enthusiasts about you know we need to keep the populations of the louisiana pine snakes spread out because like the tulsa zoo if i remember correctly finally did breed them and then it's like after that we need to send them to memphis i'm like okay why you know what's well, they did that everywhere. We had some in um, in Alexandria at our zoo, and okay. then they basically they basically put them in Memphis and New Orleans. I'm like, which is fine. But the funny thing is, I know the guy that I got mine from who lives 15 minutes down the road. I guarantee he can have more success breeding them, and he does on a regular basis. He has a whole house full of them. He breeds them far more than any zoo can. Yeah, um, and, and and in far less. Uh, how do I say this? Ideal nice? ideal conditions. There we go. But man, can he breed the hell out of some Louisiana pine snakes? It's it's amazing what what private industry can do. Well, I mean, once you cut the the politics and the bureaucracy out of the picture, I mean, I've I've actually worked in government for several years. I don't now, but believe me, I you know you sign thirty pieces of paper to get to to buy a paper clip, uh, you know, and it's just like. You know, hopefully, hopefully the Louisiana pine snakes keep getting bred in captivity because I love the pitu of this too. So, I mean, 
I, I do know it was this year or last year they did find a baby that was not tagged. So wow. that was a huge deal. Wow. So so it's it's happening with but the problem is with that snake is like we just don't know how many are out there because they live underground all the time. Like it's it's near impossible to figure it out because they're all living underground. Well, I think that's one thing you get into with like your Western Diamondback populations in the hills of like West Texas. It's like these things hide in these crevices and they hide down in burrows. So it's like, how do you count how many are there? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's, I kind of see a, a parallel, you know, it's just, you know, well, they live in some of the most inhospitable country there is too. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I think, I think it's time for me to go get dinner. I'm hungry. <laughs> I had sushi earlier, but sushi doesn't stay around long. Oh, I know. And so now I'm like, I need actual food. So as much as I enjoy talking about snakes, all of a sudden my stomach is like, it's I enjoyed food. the 15 minutes. Like, I was Welcome on the back, podcast. Katie. <laughs> I'm also going to find out where you spent the last two hours. I don't, uh, we have a project for school tomorrow that I just found out about. Oh, you have fun with that. Yep. <laughs> so, oh boy. <laughs> so, so Todd, if folks want to get a hold of you and ask you a million questions about why you haven't blown up all the reptile, all the uh, rattlesnake roundups. Um, I would say contact me on either your page. Um, I'm not currently in the Rise Against Rattlesnake Roundups group on Facebook. There is a ton of information there. I'm on YouTube um, under Todd Autry, and I'm on Instagram under Wagner County Snake Hunter. Um, I kind of did a little spinoff of Ori Martin. He's the Texas Snake Hunter, so I I call myself the Wagner County Snake Hunter, and I'm on Instagram. And... um, I'm I'm kind of trying to stay off Facebook as much as possible these days. I, but, I I did love in your last video. So as your buddy's getting chewed to death by this garter snake, this people show up looking for a lost dog, and I can only think of what's going through their head as he turns around and blood is dripping down his arm while he's holding this garter snake, <laughs> and they're like, "Uh, have you seen a dog?" <laughs> and we're like, we're like, we'll keep our eyes open. So, you know. <laughs> that was a very large garter snake too like i don't want to underplay like that he got bit by a garter snake but that was a very big garter snake well i thought it was a bull snake at first and and he's like snake and i thought it was like a, either a bull or rat snake and he gets out and grabs it and i'm like wow that's like a good sized garter snake and it's just you know and we just i just sat there and kept you know taking video of it and it was it was a fun day we had went out there for um I, th- I think they're now dusky hogs or dusky hogs. I don't know. Everybody in their ding taxonomy. You know, <laughs> I mean, like, two years ago, Western hogs, and th- and that that's an area where they're known to be. Um, and we were out there looking for hognose, uh, bull snakes, and garters. Not hard to find, but that was a pretty uh, impressive garter snake. I, yeah, I ours like, don't get that big in Louisiana. <laughs> Yeah, so it's um, it, it was it was it was a fun day. It just sadly, we didn't get the target, but you had those days in field herping. Uh, at any point you you find snakes in the wild, it's a win. Exactly, exactly. But yeah, so anybody wants to know about uh, rattlesnake roundups, reach out to Todd. He'll tell you why he didn't go punch that guy in the face because because <laughs> that's a dumb idea. 
Right. And for general information, the Rise Against Rattlesnake Roundups group is still there. And Bill Rulon Miller and is still like um, a very good source of information. He's still in that group. Um, I've got an assistant in Pennsylvania named Autumn Graham. She runs Hissy Fit Snake Rescue. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love the name. That's so fabulous. Name. We, we love the name. I love the name and the logo. And um, she does a lot to um, – I think I've uh, seen that logo actually. Yeah, you probably have. She's kind of all over the place. And and, and if you're – and I, I'd, I'd have a hard time believing anyone listening to this podcast doesn't know one of the three of us. You know what I mean? And um, you can always, you can always, you can always bug Dallas Rua. That's what you do. Send Dallas Rua. <laughs> I, I agree. Bother Dallas. That's the best way to go. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. Let's not do that to Dallas. He's he's a great guy. Um, he's just an amazing guy. Hope to meet him soon, face to face. But um, yeah, just anyone can can get a hold of me through YouTube or Instagram. Um, I throw on an email address at the end of each YouTube video. Um, I know email's a little passe, but I'm kind of you, you know how things work on Facebook where like you do a podcast and next thing you know you've got like fifty friend requests. Oh yeah. That's oh, why yeah. I, and I I do this podcast and anybody listening, if you add me as a friend, I'm apologize well, I don't apologize if I don't add you as a friend. I, I just don't have a lot of friends on Facebook. Right. Like I'm I, I keep James that close doesn't have a lot of friends. That's not true. <laughs> But if they're, if they're going to be a friend on Facebook, like it's, if it's going to be someone where I'm going to see them post shit on a regular basis, it, it's got to be someone I at least like. Right. So. <laughs> well, for years, I operated under the moniker of Ray Autry, which is um, was a pseudonym, because what roundups were doing, they, they were finding out what we were doing. And then people were trying to like actively get me fired from jobs I had. And, and one or two times they were successful. But yeah, wow. so it's like I, I've been under the pseudonym of Ray Autry for years, and so like if 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 I walk into a reptile show somewhere, because people will yell out, "Hey Ray," you know, cause that's what they knew me as. <laughs> but um, I used to have like five thousand friends, and they were all reptile people, and I hardly, you know, I talked to like fifteen of them on a regular basis. So I, I would say, you know, Instagram at Wagner County Snake Hunter. Um, get a hold of Bill Rulon Miller or Autumn Graham if you're having trouble and need to get a hold of me. I'm I'm definitely interested in discussing roundups with anybody who who wants to learn and listen. Robert, how can they get a hold of you? Uh, through my website, lsreptileracks.com, Lone Star Reptile Racks on Facebook and Instagram, and now TikTok. But I haven't done any videos because I just don't think I'm going to. Uh, and my cell phone number's on the website, and I respond to messages and answer the phone all day and all night, it seems like, unless I'm, you know, laying in bed feeling like I'm dying. And he's got no reptile expos for a little while, so if anybody wants to get a rack made, now it's time yep. to bug him. Yes, it is. Especially if you want something custom. Right now, I actually have time to work on some custom stuff. How's your arboreal rack go? I know this is the first show you had your arboreal rack at. Uh, a lot of interest. It's I turned it into a, a dubia rack. I've got... 1500 dubia in it right now somebody brought that up wow. at the show they were like man that would make a great dubia rack because it's got heat in it big tubs so i got home uh monday when i was still feeling okay and separated all my dubia out and put them in them and they're doing fantastic in it cool 
And if anybody wants to get a hold of me, I'm simply underscore serpents on Instagram and simply serpents on Facebook. And we're the Reptile Gumbo Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and at gmail.com. And I think that's it. I want to thank you, Todd. That was I. I enjoyed. Like I said, I, I've never been to a reptile or uh, 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 rattlesnake rodeo, um, and Rando. I'm torn. Like if I, if if I ever had the opportunity, do I want to? What is it a roundup or a rodeo? Same thing. Oh. It's a place where they kill rattlesnakes. <laughs> I mean, you can call it whatever you want. You can call it they're, the festival. They're depressing. That's my problem. This podcast. That's my problem. I don't know if I could give money to that. I guess that's my biggest problem. But then I also want to say I've been to, I don't know, I'm torn. Well, well, trust me, I can hook you up with hours of footage that's just the same as exactly <laughs> going on. And- just, just depressing footage, just play sad music behind it. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, you know, when I show up, it's just kind of like half the times these people don't even charge me to get in, so I'm not giving money to them. Um, you know, just cause like, oh, there's the activist dude, you know, like, Hey, Peter, did you bring beer? You know, I mean, I get a lot of that. These people. <laughs> but that's one of those things where you also like, I've got to imagine we be like, guys, look, I know I don't like y'all, but I'm not nearly as bad as PETA. I promise. <laughs> exactly. And, um, form that common ground, man. We can get somewhere, you know? <laughs> yeah. We can both hate PETA together. <laughs> exactly. Cause believe me, they hate them too. <laughs> As everyone should. Yes. It's a ter- I've always said it's a terrorist group. You know, they kind of act like one, don't they? I feel like they, yes, fit, they, they fit the definition. You know, they do have a lot of good ground people that like volunteer for like undercover video and stuff. But those aren't the people making the tons of money off of this. Right. It's, it's kind of like the really good people in that organization are down at the bottom and you never know who they are. And then the people at the top are just scumbags. I mean, because those people at the bottom feel like they're doing something good, right? For a good organization, when in reality they're just making rich people rich. Exactly. Yep. Sounds like yep. government. <laughs> <laughs> but and on that note, <laughs> on that note, yeah. Todd, Todd, when we go off, when we go off, don't go away because I need your audio to download. But so just hang around. But everybody okay. else that's listening, uh, thanks for listening. Uh, sorry, it's a yep. few days late. If you're upset, blame Robert. He's the one that got sick. Yeah, and, and next week we'll uh, we have a, a really good guest coming on, and we'll talk about James's new ball python collection. We'll just leave it at that. Oh my stars! Jesus Christ! <laughs> All right, that's it. Good night. Talk to everybody later. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thanks.